Thank you for listening to this recording from Chestnut Hill Baptist Church. Today, Pastor David Sype preaches out of 2 Peter chapter 1 with a message called A Sure Election. We hope you find this message valuable and encouraging. Our scripture reading this morning is from the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Once you've found your place, or if it's on the overhead behind me, let's stand together while I read. This is the word of God to us this morning. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. May God illuminate our hearts with this truth from his word this morning. Thank you. Please be seated. If you were to diligently search the world for the number of different books that are in print on the topic of the doctrine of election, you'd be surprised to learn that it numbers close to 8,000 different books by different authors. Yet of all the books and articles which are ever written on that particular doctrine, they've never served to totally clarify it. So it pleases God to reserve this as one of his mysteries. The story goes that a Stoic back in ancient history used to go about holding something in his left hand covered with a a napkin, and he received many curious glances as a result of walking around that way, and someone was bold enough one day to inquire, what is in your hand? And the Stoic philosopher replied, just a napkin. And so it is with the respect to this divine mystery that God has given us, we don't really have a complete understanding of how to explain it. But we know that it's real. And no doubt God could have made it perfectly clear because for some good reason he has chosen otherwise. We know that that election is a fact. Scripture describes the election in this way. It says, whom he did foreknow, He also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son. And whom he did predestine, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. It's inconceivable that God has not always foreknown the names of the redeemed. That is to say, those we refer to as the elect in Christ. The elect are said in scripture to be written in his book of life. But the book is sealed with seven seals and only one, the Lord himself, has been found worthy to open it. But the the practical side of this doctrine lies in the fact of personal assurance. You see, you may know whether your name is written in the book of life or not. It isn't said that all true believers have this certainty, but only that they may have it. The little poem goes, "'Tis a point I long to know, 
Oft it causes anxious thought. Do I love the Lord or no? Am I his or am I not? Our youngest son, Matthew, when he was a a young boy, said to me one day, I think I may not be a Christian. That caught me by surprise, but he said, because I may love God just because he wants me to. (laughs) And my response to him was simple. If you were not a Christian, you wouldn't be concerned about it. That seemed to satisfy him. So how may we arrive at assurance? How may we arrive at that assurance if we are elect? Well, by the mouth of three witnesses, it can be established. And let's take a look at those three. The first is the witness of the Spirit. Scripture says, The Spirit beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. A witness in an earthly court is not permitted to testify as to merely hearsay, is he? No, nor can he advance a personal opinion. He doesn't guess or speculate. He's not like a mathematician who has a, a problem in search of a solution. The witness testifies as to facts alone. And so here the Holy Spirit appears as a witness, as one who has looked into the book of life and is prepared to say, your name is there. And why shouldn't the Spirit testify in the the soul of the the believer? Didn't Jesus give assurance uh, again and again in Scripture to those who sought him in spiritual trouble? Didn't he say to the paralytic who was let down through the house roof in the midst of the the group of people gathered there, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee? Didn't he say to the poor woman who, weary of her sinful life, sought him as he sat in at the Pharisee's house at the table, anointed his feet with precious nard? Didn't he say, daughter, go in peace, thy sins, which are many? are forgiven thee. And when the thief upon the cross, after a life spent in ill-doing, sought Christ, Lord, remember me when thou comest into the kingdom, did he not answer today, thou shalt be with me in paradise? And when Jesus ascended into the heavens, he left his work in the hands of the, the Holy Spirit, who was to carry it on to its ultimate consummation. And we may reasonably assume then that the Spirit stands ready to, to speak the word of assurance to those who are, who are willing to receive it. And at the, at the time when Wesley was preaching in Georgia, a few centuries back, he was approached by a Moravian pastor named Spangenberg, who asked him if he had the witness of the Spirit. And Wesley was surprised by the question. Do you know, asked Spangenberg, that Jesus is your Savior? Yes, I know he is the Savior of the world, that he tasted death for all. But do you know that he is your Savior? That your sins are washed away? That your name is written in the book of life? His response, I hope so but 
do you know so? Wesley was troubled by the question. He endeavored to solve the difficulty in prayer, and he put away all things that seemed to stand between him and God. He listened until the still, small voice came, and then he wrote, The Spirit answers to the blood and tells me I am born of God. But couldn't there be some mistake as to the voice? Isn't it possible that we may be deceived by our emotions? Is there no way in which we can verify the testimony of the Spirit? And the answer is yes, because we have two more witnesses. And the second witness is this, the witness of the Word. The witness of the Word, as the Scriptures are the court of last appeal in all questions of faith and conduct, so are they in respect to the genuineness of all Christian experience. A peace which rests on sentiment alone is of no value. Tears and praises can scarcely be placed in evidence. If a 12-inch plank were laid along the pavement from one side of a low mound to another, a child could walk upon it without any fear of falling off. But if you were to were laid from the top of one high building to another on the opposite side, there are not many of us who would attempt to keep our balance while walking over it. There is nothing underneath it, and our confidence fades pretty quickly, at least mine would. That's true also, I think, of our Christian hope. It must rest on something that we can see with our eyes and, and handle with our hands. We must somehow get it on terra firma. The scriptures are terra firma for us. In the Bible, there are many touchstones by which we can attach the assurance of our salvation. Here's one. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Do we believe on Jesus Christ? Have we taken hold of his atoning work with the appropriating hand of faith so that we can say, my Lord and my God? Here's another. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To be born again is to enter into newness of life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new, new hopes, new purposes, new ambitions and aspirations. But we live these days in a terribly conflicted world. The Tickborn case, if you remember it, was a legal case a case celebre that captivated Victorian England in the 1860s and, and 70s. It was a well-known family, and the heir, the son, was lost at sea, and someone believed they had spotted him in Australia because I've seen pictures of both of them. They looked quite familiar and similar. So this whole case concerned the claims by an individual sometimes referred to as Thomas Castro, 
or as Arthur Orton, but usually termed the claimant. To be the missing heir to the Tickborne Baroncy. And as you might expect, there was a lot of money at stake. But he failed to convince the courts and was convicted of perjury and served a long prison sentence. In the famous Tickborne case, the, the reason why the claimant failed to get possession of that great estate was not because of any specific evidence, but rather because the whole demeanor of the man showed that he was not of noble birth. Here's another of the touchstones. Ye are my friends if ye do whatever I command you. And again, hereby we know that we love him if we keep his commandments. For Jesus is not only our savior, but he's also our Lord. To acknowledge his redemptive grace and deny his sovereignty is to lean upon a, a broken reed. Well, here's another. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. The fellowship of God's people is a, a spiritual kinship. We have received, according to scripture, the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, so that being sons and daughters in his household, our relations are close. So here's another. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and let him take up his cross and follow me. Remember, the Crusaders wore the red cross on their arms, but a true believer wears it on his heart and bears it on his shoulders. He cheerfully takes part in his divine Lord in the great work of delivering the world from its sin. And here's another. Go sell all that thou hast and come and follow me. Remember the rich young ruler to whom these words were addressed were, was allowed, allowing his wealth to stand between him and the better life. A true believer makes a surrender of all. That is, he holds all other considerations to be secondary to the service of Jesus Christ. Here's another. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Not that the Christian is perfect, but he doesn't persist in any evil habit. He may be led into wrongdoing, but no sooner does he know his, his error than he repents and turns back again upon it. Here's another. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, there are the sons of God. To be led by the Spirit is to follow on the paths of holy character. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And this is a crucial test. If the believer can say with all of his heart, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee, all is well. So then we can go on singing when I can read my title clear to mansions in the skies, I'll bid farewell to every fair and wipe my weeping eyes. If I suspect the validity of my life to a, to a piece of property, I don't worry about it 
I immediately go to an abstract office and I, and I say, look into this matter for me. See if this title is clouded or, or whether it's clear. Find out all liens and encumbrances of every sort. Look into the character of every transfer and conveyance that's involved with this piece of property. And when after this the title is approved, then I rest upon it. And the blessed word of God is our abstract office. And its judgment is final. But to make assurance, doubly sure, we have still another witness. Because as scripture says, a triple cord is not easily broken. And the third witness is this, the witness of faith. The witness of faith. In the last reduction, there is no assurance, but the assurance of faith. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. There are times when self-examination is profitable, but too much self-examination is sure to make us restless and unbelieving. Look out and not in. Look up and not down. The secret of a happy Christian life is to, to trust God. Now faith shows itself in two ways. Faith shows itself in two ways. In work and in rest. In work and in rest. In work, once having surrendered ourselves to the Lord Jesus, we have better business in hand than introspection. Scripture says, go ye also into the vineyard, and there is work to do. And Paul is the apostle of assurance. I know whom I have believed, he said, and that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. And how calm and tranquil the spirit that could utter those words on the very brink of death. For Paul was an old and feeble man, a prisoner awaiting execution, and yet with eyes that neither age nor tears could dim. He saw through the darkness a kingdom, a blood-washed robe, and a crown of righteousness. And his faith was like an oak rooted more deeply into the tempest that swept over it. So let's ask him the, the secret of his faith. Time was, he would answer, when my heart was filled with the splendid hopes of youth, the world was before me. I sat at Gamaliel's feet and thought wisdom to be the chief thing. All the future was bright with promise, but on that memorial day when the, the light from heaven shone upon me, a, a word was spoken that transformed my life. Who art thou? I am Jesus. And the world from then on was a new world to me, and life was new for me to live was Christ, Paul said. His love constrained Paul, and he determined he would now know nothing but Christ and him crucified. He turned from his pleasures and ambitions and entered upon a service which promised nothing but toil and self-denial. His new master told him at the outset that a battle must be fought, a race must be won, and Paul had found it to be that way. 
but he said also, my grace is sufficient for thee. And now blessed be his name. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith and I am waiting for a crown which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. The confused noises of battle will soon be over. I bear in my body the marks of Lord Jesus, he would say. I'm old and weary and wounded, but victorious. It was a joy unspeakable to hear him say, well done, good servant. Am I not afraid? No, I'm ready to be offered. Do I not fear the darkness after death? No, it's bright with stars of promise. And how have I attained unto this salvation? By leaning on the beloved. His word has been true and faithful. I know whom I have believed and that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. But faith also expresses itself in rest. Faith expresses itself in rest. If we apprehend Christ, we ought not distrust him. If we have really given ourselves to him, we should, without misgiving, trust our destiny into his hands. And let us cease worrying. Salvation is of the Lord. I heard of a man who, while at the seashore, made a, a vain effort to save a drowning woman. And he struck out after her beyond the line of surf and being a, a good swimmer, he reached her. She frantically threw her arms about his neck. He tore them off. She clutched his hair. He broke loose, but ultimately was obliged to leave her to her fate. He said, I could have saved her, but she struggled so. Does that define your life? Christ could save you, but oh, how you struggle. We're in the hands of the mighty one. The only thing we can do towards our own deliverance is to rest in his hands. No soul was ever lost that trusted him. In the book Pilgrim's Progress, Christian who set out from the city of destruction, came at last through all of his difficulties to the house beautiful. And there he was assigned to a chamber called Peace. In the morning he awoke early and he looked out upon the delectable mountains. And then he sang, Where am I now? Is this the love and care of Jesus for the men who pilgrims there, thus to provide that I should be forgiven and dwell already the next door of heaven. God has a place for us all in the chamber of peace. There's room for everyone. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid.
May God bless his own word to us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've looked into your word, we thank you for its truth. We thank you for the assurance that we have that even though we do not totally understand the theology and principle of election, we know that it's necessary, that we are fallen creatures, that we need to be redeemed. And we know that you've called us. And we know, Heavenly Father, that we can determine beyond all question that our name is written in the book of life, that by your spirit we are assured. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can affirm that also by scripture and also by faith, and that we can work that faith out, but also you ask us to rest in it. And so, Heavenly Father, help us this day to rest in our faith, to know that you have given us peace, and that peace is with us always. Help us, Heavenly Father, not to be troubled in this life, but to rest upon the assurance of your loving hand and the love of your Son who died for us while we were yet sinners. And help us, Father God, not to be afraid. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. For more information about Chestnut Hill Baptist Church, or to subscribe to these audio messages via our podcast, visit our website at chestnuthillbaptist.org. You can also write to us at Chestnut Hill Baptist Church, 2 Bethlehem Pike, Philadelphia, PA, 19118.